Hey everybody, welcome to Garden State of Hockey, all about the Jersey's official podcast. So everything's been squared away. We're excited to bring this to you. And, you know, this is going to be a forum for a lot of fan input as well about the Jersey. We don't shy away from talking to fans, but we got a lot of exciting things planned for this podcast. We've been wanting to do it for a while. And if you don't know who I am, my name is Dan Roselle, and I've been writing for the site for about a year or two years now. But John would know better than that. John Fisher, everyone. Hi, I'm John Fisher. I've been writing on this website for over 10 years <laughs> uh, and, and in total on the Internet for over 12 years. And yeah, about two years sounds about right, Dan. Yes, yeah, so I think John you got that right. A, perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm not completely losing my memory yet, but John is the straw that stirs the drink. He is the one who kind of made this all possible. So thanks to you, John. We'll get excited to get this thing off the ground and get going. Absolutely. Like with anything else, you start something, you work on it, you make improvements, and at the end of the day, you hope you make the playoffs and go on a nice run. That may or may not be tangentially related to our favorite hockey team. That's 100% the exact perfect segue to talk about what the Devils have accomplished this offseason. So just to kind of launch right into it, this has been, I don't know if it's the best offseason of all time, but probably top three as far as... Definitely the time I've been alive, but how about you? What do you think of um, Ray Shiro's work so far this offseason? Well, it's definitely impressive. I, I don't know about ranking offseasons. It's a lot of hindsight because a lot of times you get to an offseason and you go, yeah, this move works, this move, this signing is great, and then the season goes, and you find out Mike Ribeiro really isn't that good, and everybody who praised him for it was a total, totally wrong, and you feel bad because you were one of them. And you want him to be good, but he's not good. He's Mike Ribeiro. You know, it is what it is. That being said, I'll have to agree. This is definitely one of the best off-seasons in Devils franchise history in quite some time. Light on the free agency stuff, but a lot of what Ray Shero has done has been through trades, making moves, making deals. And he has proven to be very shrewd at making a deal. And he has demonstrated that several times in the past two months. Yeah, so this, maybe not from a perspective of like... First of all, we have to see how the results are to definitively say that this is one of the best off-seasons of all time. You know, there's a lot of question marks in the air. Is P.K. Subban going to come back and play the level he was at before 2018-19? Is Gusev's game going to translate to NHL ice? Is Jack Hughes really going to live up to all the hype? But it does feel like, at least, at the very least, I'll say that it's a, it signifies a huge culture change for the team. It signifies something that you can feel the the mood around the team just completely different. In, in the time that Ray Shiro's been here, he's taken it from, listen, we're going to be middling and working out all these old contracts, to this is a team that people are excited about league-wide. They're all over NHL's content this summer. The content team for the Devils themselves has been cranking out things left and right, lots of video and People really seem to be swept up. So the feel of it is something that I don't think I've experienced in a very long time. What would you say? Well, I don't know. It was pretty exciting after the 2017-2018 season. I remember lots of fans, including myself, were very excited that, all right, Devils made the playoffs. Okay, they got bounced early by Tampa Bay. Who cares? You made the playoffs after two absolutely crummy seasons. Surely the team's going to take the next step. And then last season happened. Right. And they fell, they fell down a pit. They found that a pit all the way down to 29th. So, so when you're coming from a place of, wow, this team was awful. Half the team was literally injured. We're seeing guys from Binghamton to have no business being in the NHL playing, you know, second, third line minutes that they should not be playing. 
when you go from that, it's very easy to get excited by saying, wow, some NHL players are here. This is going to be great. Uh, <laughs> but more seriously, though, P.K. Subban has been the face of the league for the past couple seasons. I mean, let's be real. At the All-Star Weekend, only one guy got his own uh, television special, and it was P.K. Subban. It right. wasn't uh, you know Phil Kessel. It wasn't Connor McDavid. It wasn't Austin Matthews. It was P.K. Subban. He's the face of the league. So, you know, when your face of the league joins your team, of course, you're going to get lots of attention, and as you should. Um, and more importantly than that, it's, it's a move that the Devils really needed to help jumpstart de- their defense that badly needed some infusion of talent. On top of that, getting Nikita Gusev is a big gain. You know, he, he like if Jenny Dadanov before him and an Artemi Panarin well before him, was a top KHL scorer. He wanted to be in the NHL. He has demonstrated he can be an NHL player, but Vegas couldn't close the deal. Vegas wanted him in. They signed him to an ELC in April. And the Devils made the most out of that. So you can bring in a KHL top scorer, a legit, arguably best player in the NA- who wasn't in the NHL joining your organization. That's easy to get excited about. And then there's getting Jack Hughes. I mean, you're getting arguably one of the greatest American prospects in the history of America. Like, straight up. Like, he's broken records. He's broken the records of Patrick Kane. He's broken the records of all these other top U.S. N- NTDB players. And has done so at... And a, at a remarkable level. I mean, he's a big reason why Cole Caulfield was a top 20 pick. Why guys like Trevor Zegras and um, who's the other guy? Uh, Turcotte. Turcot. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Alex Turcotte. These Those guys would normally be the top centers on, on, on that U.S. team, except for it was, it was the year that Jack Hughes was there. Right. And, and Jack Hughes was the star. And now he's a devil. So it's very easy to look at all this and go, oh, my goodness, here's a big star. Here's a Russian star. And now we're getting this young starlet who could a player that I believe that you can build the team around. So it's very easy to get really hyped up for what's going to happen. Hopefully no more, no massive wave of injuries will come. Hopefully the goaltending will be at least league average. You got yourself. This is a playoff team in theory. In theory, yeah. So that's that's another facet of things, and it's that's why I kind of say this season feels different than the one after 2017-18. It was hard to look at that team and not say, listen, Taylor Hall straight up took this team on his back and carried around what looked like a bunch of slouchers and Nico Heischer the whole season. This time it's a little bit different. It feels like he'll be doing less of the heavy lifting because they do have that infusion of talent he was looking for. That quote that we're all familiar with where... We definitely need to add more talent. That was priority number one for Shiro in the offseason. And it looks like this one, this iteration of things, maybe at least on paper. Again, they haven't played a single game together yet. But on paper, this looks a little bit more long-term sustainable than Blake Coleman having the season of his life until, I guess, last season when he was a bright point. But, you know, Stefan Nason contributing meaningfully. All these players up and down the lineup who are having out-of-their-mind seasons led mostly by Taylor Hall. And... In that sense, you know, out of their mind for them was not above a threshold of like 30, 40 points each. This is now a few guys, at the very least in Gusev and Hughes, that can realistically push for Hughes maybe around 60 points Gusev more. But this is something that we, I don't remember this much talent coming into the team all at once. True. And on top of that, this is arguably one of the most offensive teams on paper since the the early 2000s. You know, those teams back then did have multiple 30, 40 potential goal scorers on that team. You had a young Patrick Elias, an in-prime Alexander Mogilny, a young Scott Gomez, among other names. This year, you know, this coming season, I should say, you have Taylor Hall, who has every incentive to have a very good season. You have uh, 
Nico Heischer entering his third season, end of the ELC, another in, another guy who has an incentive to have a really productive season. Already had two near 50-point seasons, you know, ages 18 and 19, so that's always a good trajectory for future production. Gusev, as previously mentioned, could hit the ground running. Hughes could hit the ground running. Jesper Bratt will hopefully be healthy and can contribute in the 40, 50-point range. And Kyle Palmieri, provided he also stays healthy, you know, he's going to get you somewhere between 25 and 30 goals uh, between even strength and power play time. So that's your top six. That's a pretty good top six and arguably the best of, that the Devils have had in quite some time. Yeah, pretty good top six as it relates to <laughs> Devils is not a sentence I thought I'd be using anytime in the next couple of years, but you're right. That's exactly what they have. And it's strange to me that offense is the focal point of this team now. You know, when Sherry yeah. came in and mentioned wanting the team to be more fast, attacking, and supportive – that trickled to every part of the organization, but the Devils have always been a uh, defensively emphatic team first. Now it's, can they roll these four lines? Can they have a bunch of players who just are aggressive on the four check? We already know their penalty kill is pretty decent, and there's some specialists oh, very good, on the team yeah. as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's it's a little, it's strange, but I'm excited to see it. I just hope every game doesn't end up hitting the over. <laughs> Well, exactly. And keep in mind, it's true that the Devils have always had this reputation for being team first and defensive minded. But keep in mind, that's what made them great is that they were doing that when everybody else was all about score, 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 score. The Devils for a long time have been the definition of take your own way, follow your own path, do things the way you want to do them and do it better than everyone else. And you will have success. Mm-hmm. I guess if there's a criticism of Ray Sherrill going fast attacking supportive, which has definitely been the case in their drafting definitely has been a, a point of improvement with respect to the roster and now it's looking much more like it's hitting that goal but most other teams are also going in that direction so so if the devils want to eventually get to the level of greatness of the past you know they're going to have to figure out what the devils are what is going to make the devils different than what buffalo wants to do or what boston wants to do or what the rangers want to do and everyone every other you know you know, mom and pop team in the league wants to do, but that's, that's, that's for the future. For now, the goal is get to the playoffs. You need to be a playoff team and stay healthy. I was watching last season and I thought to myself, (laughs) I've never seen such ridiculous injury luck for a team in a single year. And then I look, don't talk to an Anaheim fan. (laughs) Well, yeah, Anaheim, Arizona had some luck. And then me as a Yankee fan this year, my God, I've never seen anything like this, but it, it just makes me realize that this year, just based on how many uh, people they've brought in that can play a capable role within the organization, if the worst does happen, they're way more equipped to deal with it from a depth perspective as well. They don't have oh, to yeah. roll out three AHL lines per night. Yeah, exactly. You know, they have a little bit more movement up up top. I mean, you're, let's be real. If you have eight NHL forwards injured, you're not going to recover from that. Right. Like, there's there's a threshold of what you can and can't recover from. But the number 13, number 14, number 15th forward in, in the organization is likely an NHL player or an NHL-capable player for 10 games or whatever. So, And that is a big difference. And last season kind of contributed to that. You kind of got to see from all the um, call-ups and tryouts and other, other whatever you want to call it, I think the coaching staff has a sense of, you know, all right, we can trust this guy, maybe not this guy or not yet for this guy. And uh, you're absolutely right. I think they are better equipped to deal with um, a handful of injuries uh, than that we couldn't really say last season or even in previ- a couple previous seasons. 
Yeah, so this question about this being <coughs> the best, like you said, is, is only possible to see in hindsight, but so far it looks like it might be one of the top off-seasons in Devil's history if everything goes according to plan. But that question, Chris Ryan of NJ.com has also asked and answered that. And I, let me let me share with you that 1991 off-season that he mentioned, unless you've read this already. Um, I have not, so share it on. Perfect. So that 1991 offseason uh, has a little bit to say about this, because in 1991, with the third pick in the NHL draft acquired for Tom Curvers in January of that year, uh, Lou Lamarello selected Scott Niedermeyer. That was the early pick, and then lost Brendan Shanahan to free agency, gaining back one Scott Stevens as compensation that same summer. And oh, yeah, the big arbitration case. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, when they used to give, you know, roster players as compensation instead of 15 picks. Well, it was actually worse than that, Dan. Uh, I believe the arbitration award was pick any player on the St. Louis Blues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it, fittingly, Lou took Scott Stevens instead of, say, Curtis Joseph or right. Brett Hall or, you know, any other blue. I mean, that's how severe the tampering apparently was. <laughs> yeah, and... I'm I'm happy that Lou was able to take advantage of it at the time. That's something that obviously wouldn't fly today. Imagine telling someone, "Yeah, you get to you lose this player, but pick anyone you want from that team." Yeah, that would get pretty ridiculous, but also kind of be awesome. I'd love to see something like that, but with anyone but the Devils. Just throwing that yeah. out there. Um, yeah, don't be on the wrong end of it. <laughs> other players added that off season. Brian Rolston was picked with the number eleven selection of that draft, and also. Uh, they lost Troy Crowder, who... Do you remember Troy Crowder at all? I do not remember Troy Crowder very much. Good, nor does anyone else. They lost Troy Crowder, who have to sign with the Detroit Red Wings, and got back one Randy McKay as compensation. Yep, that, that was definitely a well a, a good movement. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty solid offseason. Look, even... I think at the time, that one may not have been as highly regarded as this one is in the context of its time, but looking back now, obviously, it basically crafted most of the Devil's Dynasty. Yeah, that, that early 90s team, those early mid-90s teams that went on to become contenders and eventual cup winners, that's right there. Anita Marta was a star, McKay was an important player, Ralston was, had an important role for some time, and um, you know it was very much Lou's way to get a guy who could be a real leader, a real star, and got one in Scott Stevens, and he anchored the defense for a decade plus. And well that, done. That offseason doesn't even end there. No. Uh, Kirk Muller and goalie and current goaltending coach Rolly Melanson were sent to the Montreal Canadiens to bring in Tom Chorsky and Stefan Richet uh, yes. to New Jersey as well. So that's all one year, but these names that, you know, Devils fans know uh, inside and out, these are the names that we associate with at least the time I was a little bit too young for the first championship, but growing up through the um, the early 2000s, that was the names I knew from the team. That was the people that basically formed my entire childhood watching this team. Exactly, and, and for many others as well, mm-hmm. you know, so definitely an important offseason especially in retrospect so hopefully we'll be able to look back on this year's offseason with the same level of uh attention respect fondness i'm trying to think of other words here reverence. you know hopefully we're, we reverence thank you that's a that's a very good one uh it's almost <laughs> worth five dollars yes. uh nevertheless uh you know hopefully that we can look back in the in those same terms because it means we know the team has been successful from these moves 
Right, and yeah, even through all this, there's there's astute moves that are happening that maybe aren't bringing in those superstars that we discussed, but there's a lot of those depth moves that we were talking about. The Wayne Simmons contract for a year, no, basically no risk and uh, all the potential reward on that deal with him coming in to shore up the net front presence on the power play and also swapping out John uh, Quenville for John Hayden. Quenville never really looked like he was going to solidify a spot with the Devils, so he gets another no. shot in Chicago. But yeah, you have some words about this? This was a player that for many times, I remember, I think Mike Stromberg put this perfectly. It's like one of these years he has to prove that he belongs. Otherwise, he just doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't. <laughs> like He's been given opportunities, and every time it's the, you know, in the NHL, he's basically a guy on the ice. Just a guy. You know, he has a number. He has a last name. You know, maybe he gets a shot on that. He's a guy. Doesn't really do much. <laughs> well, so, so, yeah, he, he needed to change the scenery. His so. impressive run was that when they started the season 4-0, he was on the roster, and immediately when they sent him back down, they started losing, which was... Now we know it's it was a weird coincidence, but it was still something like, well, clearly there might be something there in the locker room or something that no. um, his presence has been not unwelcome here. But, yeah, he never really put it together. And also, he probably shouldn't have been picked in the first place. Or no, sorry, not him, but Stefan Mateau. But John Quenville was almost considered an accidental pick. Well, he was an accidental pick. The Devils originally were not supposed to have a first round pick that year. Right. And the Devils were Granted one by the NHL, I guess, because of reasons. I don't know if it was because of the ownership change or just somebody in the office just made a case and said, look, do you really need to punish us Punish, punish us for this as much as you have? And I guess somebody decided, no, we don't. We'll, we'll let you have the last pick of the first round as compensation. Well, it's like when Lou gives you a funny look, you can't really say no. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and he shouldn't have picked Mateau the year before. That was... Ill-advised at the time. I don't want to. I don't want to relitigate that draft. <laughs> oh God! Even worse afterward. Uh, let's yeah. Let's never talk about that. Again. Those are the dark days. I'd say later, mid 2010s to current. Th that was pretty dark. But we're out of that now. It feels like we've turned a corner, and it, it's nice to see people actually getting excited <sighs> about the squad again. Not just the fans after they were post playoff appearance, but the players. It 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 does seem like they're very on board now the big question this year and basically the question that everyone has and prevents the devils from being put higher in any sort of rankings is the goaltending situation it was in a word or several words not very good last season so what are some of your thoughts on can these goalies between schneider and blackwood find a way to uh, to backstop a playoff team well I, I mentioned what the goal is earlier this team needs to get league average goaltending. And if you want an example of how important goaltending is, look at the Carolina Hurricanes. I know they're they're the uh, popular pick, you know, as a dark horse this season. But in past seasons, they were always this good. But they were always undercut by two things. Their shooting percentage wasn't always as high as, should, as it should be. And more importantly, their goaltending was just awful. And they kept making bets after bets after bets. They betted on Scott Darling. They kept betting on Cam Ward for some reason. And they just kept getting bad goaltending. And so whatever, how what, no matter how well they played in five-on-five, five, no matter how well they controlled the puck, they were going to lose every other game because their goaltending was awful. And the Devils got to experience that to a degree last season with, well, a worse team. The, the Devils were not good at five-on-five, five, and they got bad goaltending. So it's very interesting that among all the other moves that Shero has made, they got P.K. Subban, they got 
They made the move for Gusev. They re-signed their free agents to reasonable deals. They got Jack Hughes. It's telling that they did not do anything with their goaltending. They didn't do anything, Dan. They're, yeah. they're, 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 in, they're all in on Schneider and Blackwood. And honestly, now, why wouldn't you be, right? Well, in a way, you could argue that you shouldn't be. If, if you had bad goaltenders, why are you sticking with the same two goaltenders? Well, because <laughs> they know? weren't the same two. Because the entire first half of the season, Keith Kincaid stunk it to a sub-900 save percentage. Right, and so is Schneider. Schneider was absolutely abysmal in the yeah. 2018 portion of the season. And that's the point I want to make. The Devils are banking on the fact that the 2019 version of Corey Schneider is closer to the version of Corey Schneider that they're going to get here on out. And there's some validity to that. He did recover from hip surgery, abdominal surgeries. There is such a thing as recovering from a surgery, especially for a position like goaltender, where you're using your body, you're using your lower body very much in the same way that most people would never use their lower bodies. So recovery from injuries and being feeling as good as possible is pretty important, and it makes a big difference in a sport like hockey where a half a second too slow on a move makes the difference between a goal and a save. And they're, they're, they're clearly very excited about the future of Blackwood, who has shown very well in 23 games. Yeah, he had a couple stinkers, but every goaltender is going to have some bad games. Like, that's just the nature of the position, the nature of the sport. But in general, Blackwood, Blackwood is very athletic, he's large, he moves very well for a large goaltender, and he's demonstrated that he can, you know, there are flashes that he can be the real thing. So the Devils are basically betting big on this, and I can understand why. However, it's going to be one of those classic cases of hindsight where if it works out well, we'll go, yay, smart decision, good job. You know, you didn't go out and throw a lot of money at, like, Simon Bar- Barlamov, or you didn't go out there and try to get Robin Leonard and hope that he's the same Robin Leonard from the previous season. Like, you didn't do anything crazy like that in free agency. However, if it goes badly, Dan, you know what we're both going to say. Yeah. Well, we're going to say, why that... the hell did you get a goaltender? Exactly, and <laughs> that's the thing. So that, that banking on Schneider coming back, that's something that <laughs> – I mean, it's been discussed left and right, but he's coming back from the same, I, th- I believe it's the same exact surgery and injury that Pecorino came back from. Correct. So we've empirically seen that you can come back from it and play to the level that you were before. In Rene's case, maybe even better, but uh, in Schneider's case, the recovery seemed to take him a bit longer, and maybe he was forcing the issue a bit, just seeing that the team was not in a good state last year, but also it didn't really help these goalie situations that they basically had AHL rosters in front of them. Yeah, exactly. Like the devils were one of the best teams of the league in terms of preventing high danger scoring chances. But here's the thing. If your goaltending is bad, letting up any shots is a bad idea. Right. And the devils were bad at letting up shots. And more importantly than that, even if you're the best team in the league at preventing high danger scoring chances, which is pretty much shots in the slot shots at the crease, you're still giving up about, eight, nine, ten of those every 60 minutes, that's eight to ten chances. What's What do you think is going to happen with bad goaltending? Yeah. They're going to be goals. They're gonna be... Yeah, there's a and good chance that those happen. chances get converted in mass. And as it, we saw... It, the... Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, the Devils defense could help do a better job helping out. More importantly, the offense could help them out by just giving them more goals to work with. Because, as you said, with an AHL roster, they, they weren't scoring any goals when the AHLers were up here. And they weren't scoring very many goals when they weren't up there in the first half of the season. So, right. you know, it worked out both ways. Ideally, that issue is the one that's been addressed, as we were saying. But it's – I don't know. I'd like to see 
maybe not give up a goal in the first two minutes of the game because they were in interviews with the players they mentioned that letting up a goal or falling behind very early in the game and this is an obvious thing if you've ever played a sport and just the psychology of it all if you let a goal up early if you're trailing if you're on the back foot to start the game it's very hard to maintain your style of play instead you're kind of chasing things the entire rest of the game and with the way the devils worked last year it was one goal and the floodgates open they'd be in games for so long and then let up three in a span of a minute and a half or something and it was just not it was a slow burn because you kind of saw that was a possibility the entire game mm-hmm. but while it wasn't happening there's was kind of a little bit of dangle of hope in each game but then when the floodgates opened it was usually just like a brief span of every game where it just completely got out of hand exactly and it takes a team of to be really mentally tough for lack of a better term to overcome that sort of thing because you and i sitting in the stands we could say all right you gave up a goal it sucks but you got 58 minutes to make it up let's not act like it's the end of the world but i can understand that for some teams and some locker rooms you're you're right It, it definitely gets in the back of your mind going oh great now we're down a goal now we got to play more aggressive or do things a little bit differently and that's going to make us more risky and that's going to lead to guess what another goal against and that did happen and it makes everything harder so you're absolutely right the goaltending you know needs to show up and do their job early on and just as just as importantly it's important for the players to get off to a good start so they're not giving up the big dollar chances the big money chances to the other team to make it easier for them to get that first goal well, it's almost as if Schneider understood how important it was that he kept everything out, which kind of made him maybe overtry in some cases. There are a lot of yeah. games where he'd be bad in the first five minutes, and then the rest of the game he'd absolutely lock it down, but the Devils couldn't score anything. So Yeah, yeah, it, the game against Carolina was perfect in that regard. One nothing, he would give up right? or two, two nothing? nothing two nothing in the first minute of the game. Rest of the game he was perfect. And rest he, of the game he was perfect, but Curtis McElhaney was apparently, you know, more perfect you know in super he was in superstar mode and he only gave up one goal so the devils lost that game and everyone went boo schneider you gave up two goals in the first minute you suck <laughs> yeah i mean that roster that that lineup that we were skidding out with the uh, agostino first line experiment was uh a roster that can make a lot of goalies look pretty good yeah, it did. <laughs> it definitely did. There's no argument there. Is there anything besides the goaltending situation? Is there anything that obviously we've all had some fun on on Twitter talking about this offseason has been pretty positive. Is there anything that you wish that you would have seen from Ray Shiro this summer or anything that he did that you maybe didn't like as much? I always think his free agent, like his lack of action on free agency is going to catch up to him, if only because you, you're not always going to have picks to trade. You don't have a second or a third round pick in 2020 anymore. So good. You made the move you need to make to get Gusev. Great. But the thing about free agency is that, yes, you tend to overpay in them, but you don't have to give up anything other than money to do that. So it begs the question, you know, if Gustav works out, great. But if it doesn't, it begs the question, couldn't you have gone after a Gustav Nyquist? Give him, you know, five million for a couple of years, like a little bit more money and maybe a little longer than Gustav. But you get about the same amount of results and you already know he's already an NHL player. But again, that's that's water under the bridge at that point. The thing I'm more concerned about, Dan, for this coming season is the coaching. Mm-hmm. Go on. Because... You, you notice the Devils have never been that good of a five-on-five team. And we've always said, well, of course they're not a good of a five-on-five team. You know, the, the team's not good. You know, the team is lacking <laughs> talent. You know, it's got this issue, this issue, this issue, you know, and last season definitely not. But I always wonder, now the roster has talent. Now 
the roster could be argued as a good roster. It still has some issues, still has some some problems that we're going to touch on here and there. But for the most part, we agree this should be a playoff team. Is this coaching staff equipped enough to get this team to perform well at even strength and to perform well on the power play? Well enough, put guys in the right spots, give them the right tactics, give them the right situations to help them out to get them to where they need to be. I'm not certain because that 2017, 2018 team, that was not a master class of coaching by John Hines. You, you, you already said it. It's Taylor Hall putting the team on his back. It's other guys that had great seasons that ordinarily not super great guys, but they contributed. They chipped in stuff here, here and there. None of that was saying, oh man, John Hines did a great job or the, or Elaine Azardine did a great job with the defense. No, nobody's saying that. Right. And that's telling. And so, that tilt factor we were talking about as well, you know, where they kind of spiraled out of control in those brief moments of the game. That's something that kind of falls on the coaching as well. That's something that mm-hmm. he has to be ready to call the timeout at an appropriate time. He has to recenter them. And that's something that I didn't, he definitely underutilized in terms of leveling out emotional swells in the games. Exactly. Like I know with coaches, there's a lot of more talk about, oh, he didn't say this at the pr- at the press conference after the game, or he looked, he didn't look angry enough at, on the bench. And like that stuff doesn't matter. What does matter is how are the players being used? Are they being put in positions to succeed? And I question whether or not Hines is really doing that to the best of his ability. The past couple seasons, he's gotten a pass because hey, the Devils were not good, the Devils were bad. Get that lottery pick, and he got it with gusto. But now this situation is different. The expectations are higher. Can he meet them? Because I'll be honest with you, Dan. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a bold statement here. Okay. If this team if this team falls flat out of the gate, like let's say they slump through October and early November, I don't think he's the coach by Thanksgiving. Wow. I think Cheryl will have to fire Hines and his staff to avoid this situation spiraling out of control. Because remember, the way the playoffs are structured, top three teams in the division and then in each division, and then the best teams after them. In the Eastern Conference, there could, there's going to be a real dogfight in the Metropolitan for that third spot. And the wild card, you throw Montreal and Florida into the mix, it's going to get crazy. You can't afford an extended slump and hope that the coach will figure it out in three months. You can't do that. It's, yeah. If you want the Devils to make the playoffs, they got to come out well, and they got to stay well. They got to stay consistent. You know, they can't have, they can't have that 10 game losing streak and hope they'll get a 10, 10 game winning streak in March. It ain't right. going to happen. We can work that happen. Yeah, that what about the Flyers. And it also no. seems that he has almost and they the didn't opposite play problem, that season either. which is exactly the point. Like, it's an unsustainable losing streak if you're trying to make the playoffs. You can win 10 straight, but if you lose 10 straight, it's definitely going to hurt your chances no matter what you do. You have to keep winning to make it. But it seems like he almost has the opposite problem. The starts of the season are usually pretty good. And then they taper off around game, you know, like 10 to 12 or something like that. Or then an injury oh, comes through and it all gets derailed yeah or a big road trip happens because that's what happened last season the big road trip happened that team got killed not just beaten killed in most of those games right and that's the thing that's the thing like it's one thing to lose you get blown out in a game hey you get blown out in a game but if it happens five out of six games on a road trip that speaks to a larger problem so if this team comes out of the gate poorly and things aren't going the way they should be Heinz is gonna be on the hot seat real fast I think ownership and management see this as a playoff team. So let's let's figure it out here. If it ain't the players, yeah. who else is it going to be? It's got to be the coach. 
Yeah, that 4-0 start was also suspicious as heck because it was against it was a few <laughs> home games against Western Conference teams that had just been yeah. traveling hey, to beat Washington. Nothing. It was awesome. <laughs> That's true. That is so satisfying, especially considering they've destroyed us for the last five years straight. But um, yeah, that was it was it was dubious to say the least. It was an early season streak. Listen, it's better to start winning four than losing four. But you had to take the context of this. And it was against, what, San Jose, Winnipeg, like, maybe not Winnipeg, but San Jose was in there, L.A. might have been in there, but there are a few teams that were coming, they had cross-country travel, they were playing against the Rangers the night before, maybe, they happened to catch a lot of good teams on on days where they may not have been at their best, which could have explained why they were so successful to start the season as well. Right, again, so that's my, that's my big concern here. And again, I'm not saying Sheriff should have gone out and got a new coach this summer. I understand there's contracts involved and, you know, there's something to be said about, hey, you stuck with the team when they were bad. You know, now that you have a team that's considered good, let's see what you can do with that. I get it. I'm not saying Han should have been fired. However, what I'm saying is that that's my big concern in this offseason, the goaltending and the coaching. Yeah, I, it makes sense that that's something on your mind. I think a lot of people share that sentiment with you. Those areas that were specifically not addressed in the offseason, the goaltending and the coaching, those are the only things that didn't really change from the end of last season to starting training camp in a few weeks here. So, yeah, you're, you're obviously, your opinion's your opinion. You're not wrong for being concerned about these things. It is a sentiment that a lot of fans echo, I believe. So that kind of... It kind of puts a bow on the off-season changes. Basically, at this point, we're in a holding pattern, barring anything unexpected like a Jake Gardner signing and moving someone else. This should be what the team reasonably looks like going into the season. And you know, obviously, as we approach training camp, we'll have more stories coming out. But yeah, which of the of the people we haven't mentioned so far is there anyone specific you're very excited to see in camp? Well, I want to touch on first that there is one other move that has to happen. Oh, true. Um, the uh, Pavel Zaka contract. So right. he's a restricted free agent, but he wasn't arbitration eligible. So obviously there was no arbitration hearing to force a move to be made. Like Will Butcher did it, Marco Mueller did it, Connor Carrick did it. And that's why they're all re-signed and, you know, we don't worry about them. Zaka's not going anywhere. He shouldn't go anywhere. I know he's not what people wanted him to be but it is what it is at this point. But he'll get a new contract in August. That'll probably be the last big story. Going into camp, though, there are a couple guys I am very interested in seeing how they perform. First and foremost is Jesper Bokvist. I think before the Gustav signing, there were some fans who were hopeful that he would be a lock on the roster at left wing. With Gustav signed, your left wings are Hall, Gusev, Coleman, Miles Wood doesn't have really any room for Bokovic. And this is interesting because when Bokovic signed his entry-level contract back in uh, June, it has a European assignment clause. So basically what that means is that if he doesn't make the New Jersey roster, and this is key here, Dan, the New Jersey roster, he can go back to Sweden. He can go back to play with Brynäs, his, uh, his original club team. There's no Bingmanton option here for Bokovic. <laughs> it's either NHL or SHL. Right. I'm of the opinion that He's he's 20. His his ELC has started. His 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 years are running. His money is running. I would rather him, even if it means bottom six minutes or limited minutes, I'd rather him stay in the NHL than go to the SHL because I want him to get acclimated to North American hockey. Injuries may happen. He'll get his opportunities to shine. And um, should he get those opportunities, I think he will shine. I, I think very highly of his offensive skill set. 
He had a very good season with Brennis last season for an under 20 player that was really well done on a not so good Brennis team. You know, I'm excited to see if he's really ready for the NHL. And if he is, I hope the Devils make room for him. If that means moving Miles Wood to do that, I'm all for it. <laughs> so it's uh, Boquist and Smith are the big names being floated around. So Yeah, Smith is the other one. He's got a real shot to make the defense. He had a very long training camp last year. There were some rumblings of whether or not he would have made the NHL roster. He went back to the WHL and basically killed it with his team in uh, major juniors. He doesn't really have anything left to prove in major juniors. So I do think he'll, I think he'll get a chance. He may have to be an extra to start, but it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being regular by season's end. Again, the re-signing of Mirko Mueller, and on top of Carrick being signed, you know, the Devils have seven defensemen on their books right now. So Smith would have to be starting out at number eight. But I think he'll fight his way up up the charts. Yeah. And it, the way people are talking about him and the way, you know, he's been covered, it sounds like he might be the best homegrown offensive defenseman since what, like Brian Rafalski, maybe? Well, you know, Rafalski was signed as <laughs> signed as a veteran out of finland uh you know okay, this, you this guy's a legit prospect <laughs> i mean yeah he's definitely got a skill set that's a lot more exciting than um eric jelena or john merrill i wouldn't sleep on damon severson i mean the guy had nearly 40 points last on last season's awful team so i mean but i understand what you mean like smith definitely is one of the best defensive prospects in a long time for the devils and yeah larson was obviously highly doubted as well he was also a high draft pick but Smith looks like he's got the goods like Will Butcher before him. You know, I, I wouldn't surprise me if once he gets his opportunity, he will make sure the coaches understand he needs to be a regular. So I'm excited to see if he'll, he'll come into the camp with that mentality. And even if it means waiting a little bit in New Jersey for the first few weeks or so, so be it. But uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that he can show he's an NHL player as well. Yeah, just the fact that he was so close last year, you know, we saw the behind the glass of the Devils, which first of all was super cool and never would have happened under Lou Lamorello. But it was interesting, his reaction to it. He could feel that he was really close to making the roster. I have a hard time believing he won't make it this year just based on how far along he was last year. Like, yes, they've added some people, brought some people on, but he was someone that had their attention even you know, when they were shocked that he was available at 17. So it's something. Oh that, yeah. That was a big drop for him too. Right. And the plan has always been for him to, you know, get every opportunity possible to make the team. And he just based on development camp too, it seemed like he had a great time. It seemed like he was playing well alongside obviously our <laughs> new precious son, Jack Hughes and all the other youngins that were flying around camp uh, in mid July. But it was, it's cool to, to see him profiled so highly and everything that's coming out seems like he has the personality fit that they're looking for. So he should be able to earn his spot on the team. But yeah, like you said, there is a bit of like a seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman log jam. I don't think he'll have any issues proving he's better than those other guys. Yeah. I think he just, once he needs to get his, once he gets his opportunity, he'll show it. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned Pavel Zaka and like I was mentioning at the top of the show, we'll have a few different uh, recurring segments, but Pavel Zaka brings us pretty nicely into this week in New Jersey Devils history. L let me be honest with you here for a second. August 4th to 11th does not have a lot of promise in terms of significant things happening for the Devils historically. I was able no. to, uh, obviously, because nothing happens in the dog days of summer when everyone's away drinking margaritas in their beach houses. And Pavel Zaka 
he signed his entry-level deal in 2015 this week. I believe it was August 5th, 2015. Sixth overall pick, he was the last vestige of the, the Conti scouting era. And given what, maybe for a sixth overall, he should have more of an important role, but he's carved out a nice niche as a um, reliable penalty killer and someone who, he's only 21 years old. He still has room to grow and time to grow. So hopefully they get that squared away too soon as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I think what makes people more unhappy about Saka is that all the guys, af- not okay, not all the guys, but a right. lot of the guys taken right after him have went on to have incredibly successful NHL careers already before the age of 23, like Zach Rowensky, Ivan Provorov, Miko Ratnin, Timo Meyer, who is um, that right there is just four guys right off the top of my head, and they were picked you know right after Zaka. So I mean, you know, there's definitely a lot of buyer's remorse, so to speak. But you're right; he is an NHL player. I know he was sent down briefly last season for a little bit, but he's never had any long stays in Binghamton or Albany. And he is not just a good penalty killer; he's, he was actually one of the best penalty killers in uh, by some metrics last season. And the Devils need to make sure he's on the roster on a regular basis, somewhere, somehow, some way. So there you go. Yeah, so happy anniversary to that deal. Uh, hopefully the next one gets, and you know, obviously it makes sense that it would be happening right now. It's the typical entry-level deal. Uh, some other transactions that happened this week in Devils history. I've got some names for you. Uh, current okay. broadcaster... And former captain Bryce Salvador signed his first contract with New Jersey at three years, $4.2 million a year. In, I saw 2005. I'm not sure if that's correct. but um, No, that can't be right. No, that can't be right, right? It was too long ago. But he signed... He wasn't a devil then. He was a blue. He was a blue. Okay, so he... Uh, whatever it was, maybe was, what, 10, 11, something like that? He signed his first devil's contract uh, this week as well. Yes, I remember, I remember the... Uh agent said saying like we didn't need a no trade clause for this one (laughs) yeah you didn't (laughs) (laughs) and there you go uh aaron asham in 07 as well another uh classic Lou Lamorello signing in those middle 2000s years to try and put stopgaps in and get them to the playoffs without any intentions of going much further in the second round He, he, he was a fourth line guy that's all yeah, he has That's the distinction of playing for every team in the old Atlantic, I think. I'm pretty sure he's been on every single one. He did. He actually did it. Oh, he, all five? All five. He there played four, four straight seasons with the Islanders. Then he signed with the Devils for 2007-2008. And then he signed with the Flyers for two years. He was a Penguin for two years. And then he ended his career with the Rangers for two years. Yeah, so there you go. He was a traveler around the old Atlantic Division, so that's a little special homage. There's not that many players who have played for the three New York area teams, let alone every single team in uh, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, but Aaron Asham has that unique distinction in 07. This week, sorry, this week in 07, he signed his contract with New Jersey, so that's a little interesting tidbit in a time where really nothing's happening. Yep. And the, the last uh, thing I had listed for this week in Devils history is the announcement of their affiliation with the ECHL's Adirondack Thunder. Uh, that was announced this week in 2017. Okay. So, really, you know, not much. <laughs> Evan Cormier is familiar with this. <laughs> yes. Evan Cormier, uh, do they, is there anyone else that's, the, in like, specifically the Devils Pipeline who's in Adirondack right now or no? 
No. I mean, Adirondack is really more or less, and this is true for a lot of ECHL franchises, it's really a place for the AHL team when they have additional prospects. Like, where do they go if there's no room on the roster, if they need to go to a place where to get more minutes? And it's typically goaltenders because some teams just have too many goaltenders for effectively four spots between NHL and AHL. So if you have five in your pro system, you don't want to have a third AHL goalie just hanging around doing nothing. You want him playing. So you send him to the ECHL. But, um, yeah, there's nobody in New Jersey system that's really like an ECHL regular. It's not not really – you're not going to rank very highly in the top 25 under 25 if you're an ECHL regular. No, no, and it's that goaltending issue I think that's the best – that's the best spot to address it based on, you know, what Corey Massasak of the athletic has written. It seems like the devils have a pretty nice little pipeline of goaltenders that they can use and there may not be enough room for everyone in Binghamton. So that's where the thunder would come in. But yeah, again, this is a, this is as dog day of a headline as you can get in August. It's such a dog day. I encourage everybody to go out and fill out your ballot for the community poll of the top 25 under 25. Visit all about the Jersey for more. (laughs) Ooh, very true. And we have a lot of new names in there this year as well. 47 players. I I, I remember CJ wrote something along a bit a while back saying, you know, maybe the devil's making the playoffs was a bad thing. And, you know the system. The system is uh, has a dearth of players. There's 47 of them now. <laughs> there ain't no dearth. <laughs> Not so much anymore. This is a youth. Not movement. anymore. There was a lot of them. There were a lot of them before the draft when they picked you know 11 guys, or 10 guys, or however many guys they picked. It was in the double digits. Yeah, that was but a surprising it, thing too that they actually used every single one of those picks. They did not use every one, single oh, one sorry, of those picks. Sorry. Um, no, they, tra- they used some of them to get P.K. Subban, and then they traded down twice to get extra picks. Yeah, yeah, so they got extra picks, and so they managed to pick eight or nine players while also acquiring P.K. Subban. Exactly. You know, they, they got, and Jan- oh, and John Hayden. We can't forget John Oh, John, John Hayden. Hayden, right. Oh. <laughs> but he didn't take a pick, did he? No, it was it was for John Quenville. Just one for one, as we know, our one favorite for one. type of Jevil's deal. One for one. And, uh, yeah, I guess Jeremy Davies will no longer appear in the um, top 25 under 25 list. Um, nope, he was part of the P.K. Subban trade. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and you know what? He will be missed. He was a pretty decent prospect. But, again, when you have a chance to send him away for a guy like P.K. Subban, you do it 10 times out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. You um, always do the deal. Yeah, and with that being said, as John alluded to, we're going to have a lot of community interaction with this podcast as well. So get out there, get your votes in for the community post of Top 25 Under 25. And also, you know, what should we ask this week? There's kind of not a lot going on. So I guess the best question to ask for anyone listening is, I guess it's pretty cliche at this point, but what are you most excited about for this season? A lot of people will say the same things, but if there's anything kind of an underrated storyline that you don't think is being discussed enough. We'd love to hear what you think it is. Yeah. Let us know. And uh, yeah, let us know at tweet us at all about the Jersey. And also you can find us on our individual Twitters as well. John, what's yours? Uh, JK Fisher. And I'm at Roselle GSN. That's R O Z E L. Uh, That'll be changing soon, but if you find the feed that's mostly complaining about the Devils and the Yankees injuries, that's me. And also watching movies, TV, all that, that's all you can find there. But yeah, we'd love to hear some input from you guys because that's really why we're starting this. This is to get the fans involved in the conversation. The Devils did a good job of bringing in more fan interaction throughout the course of Shiro's tenure. But yeah, we'd love to 
hear from the readers. I know we have a lot of analytically minded readers as well. So any numbers you want to throw at us, any stats, we'll have CJ on here uh, to break those down as well. So John, any um, final thoughts just for our pilot podcast here? Well, uh, we're going to do, as you said, a lot more interaction. Uh, One of the other features that we're definitely going to add for the future is something I'm going to call board battles, where I'm going to ask you for your hot takes, your controversial opinions, and we'll pick the very best ones and discuss them on this show. And, you know, there'll be another way to get your uh, say, so to speak, about the team, about the game of hockey in general. And um, I'm looking forward to however well or however poorly that may go. My other final thought is that uh, I'm very happy that this is happening, Dan. I'm very happy that All About the Jersey has a podcast again, and I'm looking forward to making this a regular feature of the site. Hell yeah. I love that, and uh, I'm excited to be working on it with you and with everyone else on the site and with all of you fans. I'm really excited to kind of get to know more of the fan base. We're passionate as heck, and you know, while we overreact to things sometimes, that just means that we really care. So, Devils fans, we love you guys. We've been rewarded for a great... Uh, we've been rewarded for our patience with a what looks like a great offseason so far, so looking forward to getting back into the full swing of things and starting the new league year. And with that, again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here very soon for more Devil's Talk and some uh, some new segments as well. Okay. Have a good day, everyone.